everybody and welcome to episode 38 of Customers Who Click. Today I welcome Rio Chiba, the founder of Use Topic, and we're going to explore how AI fits into your content marketing and SEO strategy. We've talked about AI before and uh, and really it's a, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, I really love it. Uh, it sounds like it will bring us endless opportunities, but I do think people maybe hype it a bit too much. Um, and, and part of that is, is due to some misconceptions around it and, and what it's really going to bring us in the next couple of years. It's great for reducing workload. And as a small business myself, anytime I can save 30 minutes on a task each week through automation and tools is super valuable to me as it allows me to focus on my clients instead. So let's explore exactly how you can do this with Rio now. Hi, Rio. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, could you tell us a bit about yourself, but of your background and why you're doing what you're doing uh, right now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. I'm the founder of an SEO content research and optimization a tool called Topic. Um, and the problem that we tackle is that one of the biggest bottlenecks typically in any content operation is um, once you've done the keyword research and you've figured out what keyword you're targeting, how do you actually write content uh, that targets that and ranks? So, um, you know, the content that you're producing needs to be relevant, needs to be expert level. And also, you need to be able to teach other people on your team to produce that content. And so our tool just makes it easier uh, to, to do that. Um, and some background on myself and how I got started working on this. Um, it actually goes back all the way almost a decade. Uh, back in 2012, I was just graduating undergrad from college and with two other co-founders who are also college students we were working on a social media aggregation company um, similar to Pinterest, and we worked on that for about a year, but uh, we ran into a situation where we tried all sorts of uh, strategies from the marketing side to promote our, our, so our new social network, all these viral uh, hacks that we were trying to do um, at the time. On Facebook, uh, it was popular to, to hook into their new APIs to get people to share your content um like you know with farmville and we were doing all these different strategies but none of them were working and then as a last ditch effort uh, i i learned seo i was a total novice at the time um, and i learned the basics what a backlink is and why it's important to produce high quality content and surprisingly we were able to turn things around and over the course of the next six or seven years we were able to grow our business to around uh, 40 people all through SEO. Um, uh, and really, after we sold the company in 2018, for my second venture, I really was uh, looking for uh, a, a different problem to solve. And the best one that we found was the ones that we were experiencing when we were growing that previous business, which was uh, scaling our content marketing um, and and finding a better way to produce uh, high quality content that ranks. So um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of background on myself. Yeah. It kind of makes sense. Doesn't it? Um, I think a lot of startups have come about that way in, in the current company or, or in a job, someone's had a problem uh, and then they've decided to build the solution to that problem. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I, I'm an engineer by trade. And so uh, the first thing that I do is build um, and, and I sort of fell into marketing and yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people, especially in the SEO space are sort of like that, where they fall into it or accidentally discover how powerful it is and then, um, get more into it. 
Yeah, cool. Um, so, uh, what what does a, like a standard day look like for you? Are you are you a like a routine person or kind of like a just a standard day sort of thing? Yeah, for me, the standard day uh, starts the night before actually, because um, if if you don't get uh, the right rest, um, the whole day is all screwed up. So, um, I started using. Uh, salt lamps around my apartment to reduce the amount of light that I'm getting. Very much a routine person. So in the morning, uh, I usually try to get around 30 minutes of exercise, physical or creative. Um, I like to watercolor sometimes in the morning um, and then uh, dive into my notebook to write down the tasks that I need to do today. Um, there's a really good uh, technique that I think is really valuable, which is swallowing the frog, which is figuring out what is the the big thing that you don't want to do for the day and then cranking through it. And for me, it's typically uh, sales calls or uh, customers, customer support. So I'll, I'll try to crank those through in the morning so that in the afternoon I can really focus on uh, the product and, and working on um, some of those larger projects. But uh, that's my typical day. The interesting thing is that, yeah, my co-founder and I trade roles every couple of months. So we're both engineers and we're both not sales or marketing folks. But yeah, some some months we'll focus more on marketing and some months we'll focus more on engineering. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think that's really undervalued. I, th- I think people tend to, e- even if... It, even in startups where it's, where it's, you know, there might only be a couple of people, uh, it's very easy to get siloed and focus on the stuff that you really like doing or you're really good at. Um, and actually, especially in a startup, you need to be doing all those bits. So even if it's, you know, like sales and custom support, you know, you, you have to do it. So if it, if it works best for you to get it out first thing in the morning, get it done. Obviously, customer support, I suppose, has to be done throughout the day. But uh, yeah, kind of getting those blocks in every day to do the bits that you, you don't really like um, so that the rest of the day you can actually just focus on what, what you do. Um, but it also gives you the, that, those kind of day-to-day touch points in those areas of the business as, as well, which I think is really important. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I, I subscribe to a couple Instagram accounts. Uh, they're comedy accounts that focus on... Uh, the day-to-day of sales in uh, a SaaS company. And it's, it's it's interesting because almost half of the memes are related to making fun of the marketing team in some way and how they're disconnected and also oftentimes not very useful <laughs> to the salespeople. And it's, it's fascinating that that is a common pattern. Um, and that pattern happens because yeah, just like you said, you get caught up in what pe- what you want to do, which might be telling your your brand story or trying to come up with something clever or uh, stylistically challenging. But in the end, you know, talking to the customer, figuring out what they want is uh, really what's going to drive value um, for for the entire business. Yeah, I think I've I've seen that a lot as well. Um, there's a there's definitely a disconnect between sales and marketing in a lot of companies. Um, and it, and it does, I think tend to annoy the sales team a bit more, um, especially as you know, the, the marketing team can drive unqualified sales, uh, sorry, unqualified leads, 
but all they see is the sales team not selling, not able to close those leads. And then you've got the sales team saying, well, you know, it's because they're rubbish leads. Um, but there needs to be that that link up really. And I, th- I do think a lot of um, companies don't do enough to make sure those teams are talking to each other and, and feeding back into each other. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's let's kind of get into the the main topic for for today. Um, let's talk a bit about SEO and content marketing. Um, who who should be doing it? Uh, why is it important? I guess particularly on the content side rather than the I guess technical side of SEO. Um, and and where does AI fit in with this? Yeah. So in terms of who should be doing it, uh, if your customers are online and they're searching for the problem for a solution for the problems that they're having, then you should at least be aware of where your business is at with SEO. You know, you don't even need to be necessarily investing heavily in it, it but it's important to understand, um, you know, how authoritative your site is and what your competitors are doing and, and where you sit so that you know when is the right time to pull the trigger and put more, put more resources behind it. Um, and yeah, I think in terms of where AI fits in that, um, one of the big things that's happening now is uh, more and more of the process is um, becoming automated. Uh, this is resulting in content becoming um, more and more competitive, even for niche topics as there are more entrants in the space. And so the longer that you spend not thinking about it, the further and further behind you might be when you finally get to the point when you're ready to invest. And so, um, yeah, as a general trend, um, I think AI is making it easier to create high quality content. So, uh, yeah, the competition is heating up. Yeah. I see what you mean there. Um, it gets easier and easier and more accessible for, every business to be doing this research and working out where the next opportunity is for, for some keywords or, or long tail uh, keywords and phrases. And so, yeah, if you, if you leave them and, you know, don't act on it, someone else will pick it up at some point and then you'll have to find the next opportunity or write something even better or be even better on the technical side. Yeah, definitely. I think that, uh, the parts that are easily automatable using AI are the parts that are going to be quickly commoditized and made, um, you know, made the most uh, irrelevant. And the things that are going to increase in terms of uh, differentiators, those things that aren't replicatable by AI, like authority, um, how entertaining your content is, uh, how how readable and um, easy to understand it is all those things are uh, going to become more important as as things like generic information become more easily accessible and um, you know you can see this in, in how Google is treating things like uh, queries simple queries that can be just answered with a sentence or two you know they'll show you that sentence even uh, even before you have to click into the page um, and we're going to see more and more of that as as time passes. Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot across, across everything, really, with Google. 
um, they're trying to make it easier and easier to do things within Google itself. Um, so, you know, booking flights, uh, shopping, uh, finding the answers to to questions and things which would normally be on a blog or in an article, but are now just on on Google. Um, so I guess there are there are pros and cons there. Um, but if you are the business that appears in that snippet at the top of the screen, which answers the question, I think it's quite likely people will will work out who's actually answering that question for them. Um, I, I know I do it. I do it a lot. Yeah. Um, when I'm doing research on customer experience or conversion rate optimization, I will I will open up that article because also normally there's more to the article than what Google is displaying. Um, yeah, tends, and I think that's just a snippet. Yeah, absolutely. The the thing that I often hear is, oh, is Google going to um, actually get into content and and, re- and you know replace all these different sites and publishers with their own generated content? And um, I think that's a it's, it's a it's a common mis- misconce- misconception because Google actually doesn't want to be a publisher because their main business is through connecting, uh, being the middleman and con- and being the connector between the publishers and the content folks and the audience. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, you know, experts still need to write the content. Uh, and, you know, I suppose Google are big enough to hire all the experts <laughs> if they wanted to, but, uh, yeah, it just doesn't really make sense. Does it? Um, not if you can get other people to, to write the content for free and then, and you benefit. Absolutely. Uh, so, what what are some of the mistakes companies make with approaching written content? Yeah, there there are a number of mistakes uh, that I uh, that we see when we're working with brands, um, starting from not being even aware of the amount of authority that their uh, brand has. Oftentimes, you'll see companies that have inadvertently been placed in a very fortuitous situation where if they just took the time to invest a little bit into putting up some pages and content, then they have the chance to really rank um, because of how long they've been in the market or just the connections they've made through their partners. And so um, just having uh, a baseline awareness of where your organization is at in terms of SEO, I think is, is one big mistake, which is surprising, you know, even to see such large brands um, not taking advantage of such a uh, low hanging fruit. Um, the other common mistake that we notice is um, oftentimes a business might have a unique opportunity to capitalize on uh, a part of their product or business that is inherently SEO friendly. So for example, um, our previous business, uh, the one that I talked about starting in college, um, it was a social media aggregation product. We basically pulled in Instagram posts and tweets and uh, Facebook posts, and then allowed you to put that on your website as a embeddable widget. And so, um, part of the SEO strategy was actually put a little link with our widget that says powered by tint, which was the previous company. And so we strategically had those links backlinked to um, landing pages that targeted specific keywords. And so that was really what drove uh, our initial um, growth was, was building our authority through that. And I see that 
oftentimes with companies um, where they will have a part of their business which inherently can be used for a virtuous cycle, uh, a virtuous growth cycle like that. Like if you have a chatbot company or if you have a company where you work with a lot of partners that um, that have websites that can link back to you, those are all great opportunities to take advantage of. And so uh, those are a couple of mistakes. You know, other ones that come to mind are things like not using search data to inform the creation of content. One common thing is, and this is very apparent, if you open up uh, a blog for, for a company, you'll, you'll quickly be able to tell whether or not they are paying attention to what their audience actually cares about. Um, you know, if the blog is just full of press releases and uh, feature updates and or or content that you'd be like, oh, you know, this isn't actually really that interesting to me, and it's all about them, then that's a huge missed opportunity. Um, because, yeah, there's a lot that your audience does want to know about that you do have the expertise in um, that you might not be aware of. And, and lastly, I think the, the last mistake that I often see is not taking advantage of all the different free resources out there for for understanding your audience things like something as simple as google search console and taking a look at what keywords are sending traffic to you or um, free tools that take a look at the people also ask box in google those are all useful ways to understand the audience and uh, tailor your content offering to them yeah absolutely i mean yeah like you say, the, the best the best way to do it is to write content that people actually want, because um, people well, firstly, people will be searching for it on Google. Um, they're likely to be engaged and share that content, and more people are likely to link to it as well, um, providing it's valuable. So, um, I think you mentioned a, a kind of misconception earlier about AI. Um, let, let's kind of dig into that a bit more, because um, actually, I. And I think the second episode of the podcast, uh, I spoke with Parry, the CEO of uh, Phrasey, which is uh, like an AI copywriting tool. And, and that was really interesting. So it'd just be interesting to see if you've, you kind of see the same misconceptions as he did. And obviously I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you uh, go first before I explain what he said. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to, be, to the episode, to be honest. So we'll see whether it matches up, but... I think in terms of the most common misconceptions that we've seen from uh, the folks that we've talked to are really represent the two ends of the spectrum in terms of how people perceive AI and how it will and is currently used in marketing. Um, on one end is the side that's really hyped up about AI and its possibilities. Um, they see it as a cure-all, a panacea, ability to write great content, something that with a single click, you'll be able to uh, quickly see big gains. And, um, you know, these are the people who are looking to, to really, uh, to really, one way to say it is get rich quick, you know, and, and the myth there is that although AI is amazing, um, from, from a brainstorming perspective, there's still needs to be a human touch very much content is still very much um, an art form and there are parts to it that an AI at least in the short term will never or in the short term will not be able to replace a human 
Uh, on the other side of the spectrum are those who have experienced the current crop of AI tools, who've overpromised and underdelivered, and they see AI as uh, another form of, uh, you know, snake oil, as something that has been hyped up but isn't really going to go anywhere or change anything. Um, but the truth is, the actual state of things is that it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, the next generation of AI is is significantly different enough than what's come before that it will change people's workflows significantly over the next five years, but not necessarily in the way that people expect. Writers aren't going to be replaced, but more so there's going to be more uh, an of an emphasis on editing and of starting from a place of ideas rather than the sentences. And what I mean by that is um, the AI will be able to help write the content and take care of the more tedious bits of producing it, but uh, the person who's directing it is ultimately going to be the person who's editing the content, the human. And so, um, yeah, I think th that's how I see that's how I see uh, AI and marketing and how it's going to play out, at least in in the next uh, five years. I think, yeah, pe people do think it's going to be that, that amazing tool which is going to solve all their problems. And it's just, for, I guess, in some areas of marketing, it will do that. You know, for example, what Frazy does, um, it basically spits out, you know, 20, 30 subject lines for your email, email campaigns. And so... The, the reason it's really good is it, it kind of removes the bias from the teams. So there's no one person saying, I think the subject line needs to be on these lines with this sort of language because I think this works best. And so we're going to do it. It gives you all the different options. And it's really good at that because it's short form. And I think they've, uh, I think they have launched into kind of uh, Facebook ads maybe and, and possibly PPC because it's really good at, at optimizing those short, really short pieces of content that you know have to be pretty straight and to the point. What it can't really do, is it's not going to write you a blog post. If Imagine if it did, it would write you a really kind of functional blog post. It would literally get the information down on the page for you, but it probably wouldn't be that interesting to read. Or it, it, as in, the obviously, the, the, like the tone of voice, might not be that interesting. And the, the, the big point that Perry made was um, it, it's not going to take people's jobs because it's not going to replace an actual content marketer. It's not going to write blogs for you. But what it will do is save people's time. So the time that it takes you to write 20 really good subject lines, you know, I, I imagine even really, really good content writers or copywriters and, and email marketers probably would still take maybe an hour to write 20 very different, noticeably different subject lines that they could uh, test against. So the fact that this tool can do it in about five minutes means that you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to worry about that at all. You've saved 55 minutes and you can do something else, do something that the AI can't do for you and actually requires your time. Exactly. It's a huge emphasis on the ability to uh, automate the brainstorming process and, and unlock your creativity but ultimately you as the human are making the decisions, directing the ideas and assembling everything into something coherent. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so if someone wanted to get started with content marketing, let's say startups or uh, just maybe new marketers, um, what, what are some of the key things to consider in, like immediately? Yeah, I think the first uh, key things, first off, are, is understanding where you are currently. Like I mentioned, that's that's a common mistake is, is not even knowing where you stand. Um, there are a lot of great tools out there like uh, Ahrefs and SEMrush that can tell you uh, how authoritative your site is. Um, but figuring out where you're, you are there will really direct the next steps, um, which is defining where you want to go, how many and what kinds of customers do you want, and what keywords uh, will you target to actually reach them? These are all questions that need to be answered at this stage. Um, and then coming up with a, with a strategy to direct those resources to take a look at what's available to you and, and what you can do to um, achieve those rankings and how feasible those are. Um, I think if there's one thing that I've learned from doing SEO for seven or eight years is that there's no quick hack or trick to get what you want. There's a lot of understanding the fundamentals and it does take a lot of work. And that's why people say that it's one of the only marketing channels where you can build a moat because it is so time consuming and expensive to, to, cre- uh, to identify the content that you're, that's going to resonate with customers and then create it. Um, I think one of the biggest things from a practical standpoint for somebody wanting to get started with content marketing is identifying what will actually drive business value. One common pitfall that I've seen is people working with an agency, say, who is really focused on driving traffic and more of the vanity metrics. But there are a lot of things that can be done beforehand to identify the conversion possibility for different keywords. Um, even something as simple as running an AdWords campaign, uh, anybody can do to figure out whether it will actually drive business and whether it's worth ranking organically. Um, but yeah, I think just to relate on that note, um, again, actually in a previous episode, um, I think we were talking about this idea of dominating page one, uh, whether it's your page that's going to appear or, or someone else's. And he talked about this idea of um, whether it's informational or educational keywords or transactional keywords. So that's probably a really good place to start, you know, with what you just talked about around, like, is it going to drive revenue? Um, how, how do you how do you assess whether it's going to convert or not? Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. If, if you target an educational keyword, it's un- less likely to drive a sale, but it might be likely to drive uh, a newsletter sign up. Definitely. I think people don't take advantage enough of the treasure trove of information that's that is the search results themselves. There's so much that the search results can tell you everything from the different interactive widgets that Google is using to the patterns in the titles of content that's showing up. Those all indicate the the what's on users' minds when they're putting in that query. There's so much behind each keyword um, that a marketer needs to understand in order to successfully target that content. And yeah, that's what our tool is all about, is helping you figure that out and understand the user so that 
the content that you produce is a lot more relevant. Yeah, I suppose one thing that just came to mind, and, and maybe I'm wrong with this, but obviously, like page one is always going to be full because that's just how Google works. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the content there is good. And I think probably what puts people off a lot is they will do a search for a term that they think is relevant or they think they want to be ranking for, and they will see competitors there. And as soon as you see a competitor there, you think, all right, they've they've done the work, they've got themselves to page one. It, it's going to be a bit of a slog for us to get there. So is there another opportunity? But actually, if you don't kind of dig into it a bit, you know, or if you do dig into it a bit, you might realize that, you know, the, the content is pretty threadbare. Um, it's not that great. It might not have any links to it or anything, but it just happens to be the best piece of content written on that topic. And so Google puts it on page one. Absolutely. I think the two biggest signals from an SEO standpoint are are the engagement signals like bounce rate and time on site and authority. And the thing that people do have control over in the short term is the engagement and how um, and how val- how much value the content is adding for the audience. And so, when people are focused on how how can I beat out that competitor that I found on the first page, they should be thinking about what's what's actually going to keep people on the page and help them uh, avoid looking at another page to fill in any gaps. Yeah, exactly. Answer answer all the questions um, a customer has. You know, I, I like I like this. Uh, I've I've heard it um, in in the customer service space. Um, what's the what's the metric? Uh, first first contact resolution, I think, where you basically anticipate any further needs that a person might have, and you answer those as well. So someone, I don't know if they want to re- if they can't log in then you explain how to reset their password, but then you explain you know, that it might go to their junk mailbox and the link might be there. And then the, when they come through, also mention, you know, it, it can't be the same as a previous password. I know that sounds stupid to be telling someone they can't use a previous password if they, if they can't remember it. But um, yeah, kind of anticipating the next few steps that might occur in this person's journey so, so that when they get to that step, they've already got the answer to it. Absolutely. I think that's such a key thing in content marketing. And even for things that are outside of SEO content, like this podcast, for example, you know, like when you were coming up with the questions to ask me, it's challenging to get in the head of somebody who is interested in AI and marketing and the kinds of questions that they might have. You know, um, it's, it's definitely a good start to go with something. Um, you know, there are obvious basic things like trends and and what's going to change but getting into those specific details that's where uh, having having tools to help do that can be really useful Um, so for example you know we have a free tool on our site where you can just type in a keyword or a topic and we'll extract all the questions that people are asking around that on google and i put in ai and marketing and some of the questions are, are sort of fascinating actually things like you know um, how does AI improve efficiency? What kinds of tools are there? You know, will I need to learn this as a marketer? Um, those are all questions that people are asking in Google around this that neither of us would have known if, if we had just gone into it with our own mindsets. Um, and, and in general, I think marketing is such a interesting 
uh, area of study because that's what it's all about is getting into the heads of your customer or your audience and figuring out what what they want yeah definitely um and i think yeah like it's, it's good uh, i like that you mentioned the podcast then um yeah it, it does there are uses for it in other areas as well so even though your tool for example is uh, maybe pos- at least positioned around seo content and the uh, ideas for blog articles you can write those are still questions that people are asking and ideas for content that you could address anywhere you could do it as a webinar a podcast um, video uh, just a linkedin post you don't have to look at this tool and go oh well i'm not really writing a blog so the tool's not really relevant to me it still pumps out all these ideas that you can just use anywhere else yeah definitely um that that does tie in a little bit with uh, one of my pet peeves when it comes to marketing, which is um, one visualization that I like to imagine is a Venn diagram of two circles on one side, things that your audience cares about, and then the other side of things that you want to share as a marketer. And those are often so far apart that it's it's uh, it's upsetting to see <laughs> um, when when you know you've missed that opportunity to speak to your to your users and your audience um there's so many free ways to to close that gap or easy free ways and also you know even if you don't use a a paid tool like ours things like again the people also ask box or taking a look at um data using hrefs to take a look at uh, content gaps and keyword relevance so yeah yeah, uh, it's funny you should mention that um, diagram. I'm certain I've seen something similar. There's a guy, He it's the, the marketoonist. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I have. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he sends out one every week, I believe. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's just a cartoon on one of, it, they basically call problems, problems in marketing that, um, people try to address and they address it in stereotypical ways, which is normally like throw more money about it at it or, you know, like our customers want to, our customers want to be more engaged with the brand. How do we do that? We'll send them more, more emails or something like that. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's kind of similar with, with SEO and things as well. You've, you've got to make sure that you're actually producing the content and, and kind of doing the marketing that people want, not not what you want to do. Yeah, even as an expert, you know, a lot of times people will assemble domain experts for whatever you're talking about. Maybe you're, you have a site about uh, sports gear and you're assembling, you know, the top pro sports players to give recommendations on gear and the things that, you know, a novice should pay attention to when they're buying um, equipment. But... Uh, what what an expert or a, or a pro is going to pay attention to and what they care about are, are going to be so different from what somebody who's just starting out cares about. And so even when people say you should be creating expert level content, if it's not tailored to the audience, um, you know, that can fall flat on its face as well. And so really people should be saying, you know, create uh, audience level content that is written by a trustworthy expert and that's that's a tough balance to strike um that's yeah 
Yeah, I, I think that is a really good point. I think um, when yeah, when people get told write expert level content, they assume it means advanced level knowledge. Uh, I guess buzzwords and things like that. Um, but yeah, really, what you need to be doing is working out who the audience is, who you're actually targeting with this, and just writing a piece of content that is going to be the most valuable piece of content to that person. Definitely. Um, yeah, like written as an expert. Yeah, it sort of ties into another, I think, misconception about SEO in general, that it is uh, so incredibly technical that you know somebody who focuses more focuses more on the editorial side of content wouldn't doesn't want to pay attention to you know they're like leave it to the experts that's that's just something i don't want to touch and i don't blame them because it can get technical especially when you're diving into all the dashboards and metrics that you can track using all these different tools but uh, in the end it is pretty understandable to most marketers which is if if the content's more relevant, then Google's going to prefer it because in the end, their objective is to connect users to to exactly the kind of content that they're looking for given a uh, given search query. And so, yeah. Yeah, 100% agree with you there. Um, do, you, do you see any big trends coming up in the way businesses write content or, or maybe what, what customers are going to be consuming? Yeah, I think one of the biggest trends that uh, people have been talking about more and more has uh, is related to text generation. Some of these more advanced text generation systems like GPT-3. Um, I don't know, have, has anybody talked about it yet on the podcast? Or? No, and I do not have a clue what that is. So <laughs> yeah, it might be worth a quick explanation. Yeah, so just to give some background, there's this new text generation system called GPT-3, which stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. It's the third version. Um, and it's by this company called OpenAI. Uh, a big part of their um, funding comes from Elon Musk, and their whole mission is to uh, release AI tools in a way that benefits humanity instead of um, antagonizes humanity. And so... The first one of their first products that they've released is this is this text generation system, and what's neat about it that's different than any, anything else that's come out is that typically with an AI or machine learning platform, you have to hire experts, machine learning experts, to train the system to do exactly what you want it to do, whether that's recognizing fire hydrants or um, you know summarizing uh, a work of Shakespeare. You need to like train the data and program a custom system to that problem. And with this new system, uh, it doesn't require any of that training because it's pre-trained. Um, they use the entire internet basically as the corpus of data that they're working with. And you can program the system by just giving it a couple examples of what you want. So for example, if you want uh, question and answer system. You give it a question and answer, a question and answer, and then you give it a question. You say, complete the pattern. And it's basically like a incredibly supercharged autocomplete. Um, and so uh, the, the neat, neat thing about this technology is that it obviously has major implications for the marketing world, specifically the content marketing world. And so you, you start to see tools like, um, like the one that you mentioned earlier uh, that 
summarize or that gives you different ideas on um, email subjects and, and ads. Uh, and it also has big implications for content because now you can have this system that is really good at sounding human um, and and giving it examples like, uh, here's a heading, here's the first sentence, now write me the rest of the paragraph. And it can do that at a quality level that hasn't been seen before. Um, but that that's a big new piece of technology that's um, starting to make its way into different tools in the space. Um, you know, I know a couple A-B testing tools, for example, that now integrate this so that you can quickly brainstorm different variations that you can use when you're testing out different pieces of content. Um, we're using it to help you brainstorm ideas for outlines and titles and descriptions when you're creating outlines for content. But essentially, uh, what this is going to do and other, other models like it is that it's going to result in a huge increase in content across all mediums. Um, and like I said before, it's going to really increase the, uh, the value of the different non-content-related um, differentiations that are going to be key in uh, standing out, things like authority, personality, how entertaining that content is. Um, you know, we think that it has, uh, it can have a big impact on streamlining the content production process by helping you basically automate some of the more tedious parts of the research process um, and, and helping you come up with something uh, high quality content faster. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that goes. Um, I guess one possible potential downside is we start getting a lot of content which is very similar because it's all kind of written in the same kind of AI method. Would that be a potential issue? Absolutely. I think that Google will become a lot better at surfacing uh, different angles. You know, it's already good at that. If you type in something that's controversial, you know, you'll get different results. Not every result will just be from the same angle. They'll try to mix in uh, unique perspectives, things that represent different viewpoints um, or content that differentiates itself in different ways. Um, you know, content is uh, content and SEO is an ongoing competition. It never ends. People are constantly fighting for that top spot on the first page. And so, um, you know, when there's an opportunity to be different, people are incentivized to take it. Um, and, and what these tools do is that they make it easier to reach a certain quality baseline so that you can take the time that you, you would have spent trying to get there and now invest it into how do I make my content unique? And so it's, it's interesting because on one hand, yes, it does help you create generic content faster, but it also frees up more time for you to consider the different angles or figure out how your business can uniquely differentiate its content, whether that's through the data that your company might have or the expertise that your company might have. Those, um, that's how I would think about it. Yeah, I suppose again, again it's, it's that like freeing up resource rather than and time rather than doing the job itself. Um, I, I use a tool called Otter AI uh, to transcribe the podcasts and it doesn't do a fantastic job, um, but also 
it, well, hang on, I should probably clarify that. It doesn't do a fantastic job in that. It's it's not something that I can I can take straight from Otter AI and just post on the blog. Like it's it's not good enough. It's not accurate enough for that. Um, but it's not what I use it for. I use it to create a transcription of the podcast so that I can run through that text, grab all the key points, and then write the summary article for the for the show notes. Um, and and that probably saves me a good thirty to forty five minutes for every episode now. When I would I would have basically been listening back through the entire entire episode and and reading through it. And also as I'm reading it, I'm trying to understand what the tool has got wrong. Sometimes it will, um, what, what I found when I, when I was trying to transcribe the entire episode for the, for the website, so many times the, the transcription would be basically unreadable. Um, so I would have to listen to the podcast, listen to that bit of it, understand what that person said, and then rewrite what what the uh, the tool has put but half the time you know i wasn't even using that information um and, and the the read time on those articles wasn't wasn't too great at the time so i realized it, it wasn't worth the time so yeah now I, I still use the tool um but for a very different reason it just it saves me a lot of time rather than uh, me having to yeah sit there editing a transcription for for an hour or so Definitely. I think that's one of the more fascinating trends that we'll see is the tools that are able to balance the human interaction and the AI uh, level um, of intervention so that it's it's a seamless process. And it's a tough needle to thread. Uh, I know, you know, talking about transcription, there are tools like Rev.com that, you know, offer the human versus the machine-assisted translations. You can choose the quality. Uh, there are, you know, tools like Descript, um, I don't know if you've heard of that one, Will. But, yeah, I think yeah. that one you have to, I, I don't think I ever actually used it. Um, it's and it's partly because Otter AI, I find it re- it's really easy to use. It does what I need. Um, and I can just scan through. The, the, the transcription's good enough for me to scan through it, pick out the key points, and write the, uh, write the show notes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, the, the, thing, the thing that's neat about Descript and uh, this isn't to, to slight Otter AI. I'm sure they have an amazing tool, but the neat thing about them is that you can modify the transcripts after the fact. And so I think that's a uh, fascinating example of AI assisting the process, but still having a human fully in the loop, um, modifying it uh, to, to achieve the end goal faster. Yes, yeah, same with Otter AI. Um, oh, got it, got it. the, the amount of editing I had to do, uh, it, when I was posting the full transcription was huge, partly because the way we speak compared to the way we, we would write things is, is so different. Um, just in terms of the amount of, the amount of repetition that popped up. So people saying the same word two or three times in a row, uh, in a sentence to, to try and explain something. That makes sense. Um, and you, I, I never really realized it until I was reading these transcripts and listening and listening to the podcast at the same time because uh, it, it plays it over it. And then realizing, yeah, how, how many times people say the same thing two or three times? Because I, I guess because they are thinking about what they're trying to say 
at the same time as saying it. And so they, I don't want to say stutter. I'm not sure that's quite the right word, but you know, they, they, uh, well, I guess like buffering, they, you know, the, the, the bit that they need to say is still kind of loading and say, but they want to keep talking. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It really highlights the, the different ways in which communication happens, you know, in, in a, in a podcast it's totally natural and even preferable for things to be repeated for people to be able to get the message in a more clear fashion. Um, but in a, in a written format, that's totally different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess just to, uh, to before we finish, um, what, what do you think is one of the most underrated aspects of marketing at the moment? Yeah, I think for me, one of the most fascinating and under-talked about things about marketing is taking a look at the history uh, of marketing in general. Um, I came into marketing as a, I, I sort of dropped into it accidentally, um, I, as an engineer, I've always had a, uh, I've always had a negative association with marketing. And I think a lot of engineering types do just because they see it as something, you know, where people are trying to manipulate you, but, uh, ultimately marketing has been around for so long and there's so many different, uh, examples that we can use from the past that are relevant today. Even though people are always talking about the latest tools and trends, you know, even in this podcast, when we're talking about things like AI and GPT-3. One of my favorite books is this uh, book by Claude Hopkins called uh, My Life in Advertising, um, and also his book Scientific Advertising. But the the man was an advertiser in the 1920s, uh, you know, 100 years ago. And the book is so relevant in a way that I was... Uh, absolutely astounded that every page almost had a key takeaway that could be its own blog post today um you know on on any major uh on any major popular marketing blog um and you know even though all these new technologies are coming out uh, one thing that i would say is useful is revisiting some of these lessons because it's uh, a waste to re rethink the or recreate the wheel um, yeah, a couple, I mean, I can pull some examples, uh, from the book that I think that are interesting, uh, that'd be useful. If, if you, if you know them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was just gonna say, I completely agree. Um, there's so much stuff, uh, from books that were written in the, in the last, well, a hundred years, I suppose now, uh, and so much of it is still relevant. Uh, and, and some of them don't exactly talk about marketing, exactly or advertising they're talking about copywriting or or consumer behavior and there's so there's so much content there which is so valuable and i think people don't uh well people don't read that sort of uh, those books anymore uh, or a lot of people don't but also a lot of marketers are quite almost like data driven now and just focusing on that data and it's literally about opt- optimizing a little bit optimizing keywords in ppc um, optimizing subject lines and things and less of an understanding of why things actually work. Yeah, definitely. Ultimately it's like, even though the mediums are changing, the the techniques are the same. Um, some things that I'm, I'm opening up the book right now, just to take a look at, at things that I've underlined, but um, you know, one of them is him selling these, uh, this is a popular brand of 
canned beans in America called Van Camps. I think it's still around today, but um, you know, each chapter is a case study, and in this case study about these canned beans, he talks about you know, argue anything for your own advantage and people will resist to the limit, but seem unselfishly to consider your customers' desires and they will naturally flock to you. You know, like, uh, yeah, it's that's, that's so true and relevant for every medium. And, you know, talking about, uh, talking about what we were talking about earlier, which is uh, understanding the different stigmas around marketing and, um, and to take a look at it from a different perspective, but he mentions, you know, oftentimes uh, practitioners of law or medicine will look down on advertising because it seems so simple and it can be learned so quickly. But he, he, he mentions that, you know, even the basics take a lifetime to learn and to really, uh, to really internalize, which is something that I, I, I really agree with. Yeah, it's an interesting re- reference, actually. Um, before this, before we did this recording, I was actually uh, listening to part one of a, a storytelling masterclass uh, mm-hmm. by someone I'm, I've been connected with for a while. And uh, one of the key points he makes in there is um, if, if you just try and sell in your messaging, people won't care, people will ignore you. But if you explain their problems and, and make, make it clear that you understand their problems and you might have a solution to that problem, that's when they start coming to you. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I mean, it's been really, really great stuff. Um, it's always interesting hearing about uh, kind of new, I guess, new technologies and topics around strategies that have been in place for, what, 20, 25 years now? So, um, yeah, really great stuff. If people want to get in touch, find out more, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, so the best way is going to be uh, contacting me via our website, which is usetopic.com. And my email is rio at usetopic.com, spelled R-Y-O. And if you're a content marketer or an agency that's looking to scale up your content marketing efforts, check us out. Uh, We we also have a number of free tools to give you a taste of uh, what we can offer. And also... Uh, like we talked about in the article, discover what your audience is interested in learning about. Um, but yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Perfect. Thank you so much. That's good. Thanks, Will. So if you're involved in content marketing and want to speed up your processes, or if you're new and looking for a place to start, I hope you found this episode really interesting. There are loads of topics out there now, including on the Use Topic website, to help you identify the content that you should be producing and getting out there. As Rio mentioned, you need to identify where your authority is and how people view you at the moment. And you need to work out who your customers are and what level they're at as well. There's no point producing content aimed at beginners if your entire audience are professionals in the industry. And likewise, if your brand's targeting people just getting started or at a beginner level, there's no point writing advice that is just packed full of jargon and and, and those really kind of advanced level tips. If you'd like to learn more about AI and SEO, reach out to Rio via the Use Topic website. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, etc., keep sending them over to willatcustomersyouclick.com. Uh, I get back to everyone uh, as quickly as I can. And don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes. It really does help. Next up, I've got Ayat Shikari joining me, and we're going to talk about jobs to be done and customer interviews. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Yeah.